This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Check out our Patreon as well, patreon.com slash districtsentinel. You can help support our little news co-op here in D.C. And uh, it's good to be back doing the newscast. We are fully wired for internet. Back on schedule. And it looks like we've got some news here off the bat for our Zoomer audience regarding TikTok. An update on a story we had mentioned earlier about how uh, the U.S. government is trying to force TikTok to be sold to a U.S. company. Initial reporting on this uh, from a few weeks ago had said that Microsoft was the company that would likely get TikTok, and that now looks like it will not be the case. Oracle uh, is now in the running to absorb TikTok, as it were. Uh, it's been reported that the company is going to become a, a, a partner of TikTok's uh, parent company, ByteDance. The deal is under review from the administration. It will be uh, looked at this week. But we should note that the administration has uh, ties to Oracle, as highlighted by The Hill. Quote, Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison, whom Trump called a tremendous person Tuesday, hosted a fundraiser for the president earlier this year. Safra Katz, Oracle's CEO, was part of Trump's transition team in 2016 and was reportedly floated to join his cabinet. The company's top DC lobbyist, Ken Gluck, was also on Trump's transition team. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it sort of looks like that the administration is uh, strong-arming the sale of TikTok to some of their friends. Yeah, I saw Steve Mnuchin was asked about this uh, this morning, um, and he seemed uh, optimistic. He said they still have to review everything, but... Uh, yeah, I'm guessing TikTok will still exist I think he, in six he, months. Definitely, uh, he praised he praised Oracle. I believe he called them a good company. Uh, they're definitely going to exist, and uh, they're definitely going to do all the sketchy things that tech companies generally do in terms of uh, collecting a lot of data on its users. Something that American companies do right now. Uh, Facebook and Google are probably the biggest spies in the world, the most invasive forces, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, there was all this hullabaloo over TikTok because uh, it was a Chinese company. And um, I'm not really sure what it, what it was supposed to be doing that was uh, so nefarious. But uh, yeah, now, just now it'll Chinese. just be... Yeah. It'll be doing all that good-ass uh, nefarious shit just as a, uh, a good old U.S. company or whatever, or approved by the U.S. the the U.S. government. Anyway, we'll 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 keep an eye on this. If there are uh, if there are any interesting updates to bring, we'll bring them to you. I assume that uh, some of our listeners are TikTok users, as we noted before. We don't use TikTok. Um, I think this is an interesting story, though, obviously, because a lot of people do use TikTok, 
And like I said, here you have uh, what looks like um, the U.S. government coercing a company into being sold to uh, U.S. enterprises. And for more on what else is going on today, let's get to it. It's Monday, September 14th, 2020. Here's the news. Last week, the Senate failed once again to pass a second pandemic stimulus bill. Republicans put forth legislation that was even narrower in scope than the proposal rejected by Democrats in late July for being too small. This was right before the expiration of pandemic unemployment assistance. Now the country is fast approaching another deadline from the first stimulus. On October 1st, provisions stopping mass layoffs at bailed-out companies expire. Major airlines have already announced that tens of thousands of employees will be out of work at the start of next month. United Airlines has announced 16,000 jobs will be cut. American Airlines will axe 17,500 workers. Delta looks set to furlough 2,000 pilots. October 1st also marks another important deadline for Congress. Government funding runs out that day, but rather doing what Republicans would and taking the opportunity to extract concessions from the other side to get relief for constituents, Democrats appear keen on rubber-stamping funding without incident. Here was Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin in front of the White House this morning. Do you have an agreement with Speaker Pelosi on not shutting down the government? We do. We have an agreement that there'll be a clean CR. Having said that, uh, the details of the clean CR have to be worked out, and I hope we can finish that this week. CR, of course, stands for Continuing Resolution, a legislative measure to provide short-term government funding at levels previously agreed to. According to media reports, the details that still need to be worked out are about the length of the stopgap measure. Democrats want the CR to expire in January, giving Joe Biden the opportunity to shape the next spending agreement should he win in November. Meanwhile, Republicans want the CR to run dry in December. Per Axios, quote, that could give them more power to push their own priorities if they lose control of the White House. Given this, given what we know about both parties, it seems likely that Dems will agree to a funding bill that runs until December and Republicans will then use the December deadline to extract a pound of flesh from Democrats who have unilaterally disarmed by refusing to use government funding fights to advance legislative goals. Though perhaps this is too optimistic in that it assumes Republicans will actually lose control of the White House. Nothing like waking up on a Monday morning in 2020 and listening to a Defense Department official give a press briefing about the need to develop new nuclear weapons. At the beginning of the month, the Pentagon released a report alleging that China, which has a stockpile of roughly 200 nuclear warheads, was working on expanding its arsenal. Here was Admiral Charles Richard, commander of U.S. Strategic Command, claiming that China might be moving toward an offensive nuclear strike, or in other words, away from a no-first-use policy. He's basing this, I guess, on his gut. Take a listen. And I see China developing a stack of capabilities that would be inconsistent with a no first use policy. It's not my place to judge whether they uh, intend to honor that or not. What I can tell you is, is that they certainly have the capabilities to execute any number of uh, deterrent or employment strategies that are seemingly inconsistent with a, and a no first use policy really drives you back quickly to a minimum deterrent strategy. And it just looks inconsistent to me 
And it's my responsibility to make sure that I have thought through what we have to do to deter what they're capable of doing uh, as opposed to what they say they're going to do. Just a reminder that in the 70 plus years that nuclear weapons have been on the planet, only one nation has ever used them against populations of people. And that's the United States. And we did it twice. Also, assuming the Pentagon report that China is looking to double its nuclear arsenal from 200 to 400 is accurate, U.S. nuclear capabilities still would still dwarf China. The Pentagon has nearly 6,000 nuclear warheads at its disposal. And yet, here was Admiral Richard talking about the need to develop even more nuclear warheads to counter so-called threats from China. In terms of the thought that uh, someone might think that a small, limited use of a nuclear weapon might uh, drive the U.S. into a situation where any response that we would consider would be considered disproportionate and therefore not credible. Uh, the low-yield ballistic missile submarine closes that perception and enhances security, enhances deterrence. The scenario laid out by the admiral here that the U.S. could respond with low-yield nukes to prevent an escalation is, of course, absurd. And in all likelihood, a nuclear exchange, no matter the yield, would just trigger further nuclear exchanges. So Admiral Richard was challenged on that point, which, again, is serving as the strategic basis for new nuclear weapon production. And the admiral didn't really have an answer. My question is, can you limit a nuclear exchange to tactical weapons, or is there no such thing as tactical nuclear weapons? Sir, you're asking one of the greatest unanswered questions in military theory, deterrence theory of all time, right? The answer is nobody knows if that's the case. But I do think it's an obligation for the United States to do everything in its power should a nuclear weapon be used by somebody else to stop the exchange as soon as possible, to limit damage to the U.S. to the maximum extent possible, and to end it on terms favorable to the United States. The short answer to your question is, is that uh, nobody knows. Fortunately, we don't have any real-world experience in that, and I would just as soon keep it that way. Well, there's still a few months left in 2020, so uh, maybe we'll get a chance to find out. It's believed that the deployment of new tactical nukes on submarines is what President Trump was referring to when he told journalist Bob Woodward about a new top-secret weapons program, as documented in Woodward's forthcoming book. Trump allegedly said, quote, I have built a nuclear, a weapon system that nobody's ever had in this country before. We have stuff that you haven't even seen or heard about, end quote. Admiral Richard refused to confirm or deny to reporters on Monday exactly what the president was talking about. Keeping with the Pentagon now, there's reporting that the Defense Department's assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani has now put members of the U.S. diplomatic corps in danger. U.S. intel officials told Politico that they had seen reports suggesting that Iran was considering assassinating the U.S. ambassador to South Africa in retaliation for the killing of Soleimani. That ambassador, Lana Marks, is a wealthy handbag designer, friend of Trump, which is how she got the gig. The Iranians are reportedly weighing a number of options. Obviously, you have to uh, take what anonymous intelligence officials are saying lightly here. But then again, blowback of this sort from an assassination of a figurehead in the Iranian government would be entirely expected. 
Something tells me the folks over at Strategic Command aren't displaying the most strategic thinking. A study released today shed light on casualties caused by police officers during the uprising for black lives. So-called less lethal weapons have caused at least 115 head injuries between May 26 and July 27 alone. The study was published by Physicians for Human Rights, which looked at open source reporting about injuries. The group noted that this led to a conservative estimate, which provides, quote, a minimum estimate of the true scale of recent police violence. PHR said it didn't count internal injuries like hearing loss caused by police weapons. Also, tear gas was disqualified from the study unless it involved incidents in which tear gas was shot directly at protesters. The study specifically looked at so-called kinetic impact projectiles, or KIPs, which work by, quote, striking an individual with a blunt object shot from a firearm at a, le- at a relatively low velocity. According to the study, three cities were worse than others in their police's use of these projectiles against protesters. Los Angeles, Portland, Oregon, and Austin, Texas, quote, stand out as centers of protest where significant numbers of civilians were shot in the head with KIPs. Finally, historic wildfires in California and Oregon are expected to worsen as dry weather and wind gusts descend upon the West Coast on Monday. Already 5 million acres have been scorched. At least 24 people have died. Entire neighborhoods have been wiped off the map. The skies above Northern California and Oregon have turned orange. And people are reporting the adverse physical effects of prolonged exposure to toxic air. And while all of this is going on, several states are now suing the Trump administration, hoping to reverse deregulatory policy that will only accelerate climate change and its adverse effects like wildfires. On Monday, 20 states and four cities announced they were taking the Environmental Protection Agency to court over its decision to repeal methane emission standards at oil and gas production facilities. The plaintiffs argue that rollback of the regulation will lead to 850,000 more tons of methane released into the air over the next decade. Methane is a greenhouse gas that is 25 times more potent in its ability to trap heat than carbon. The regulation required companies to monitor and address methane leaks, which are a fairly common occurrence during fossil fuel production. The EPA claimed that the regulations were redundant. However, the agency admitted in its study about repealing the regulation that as many as a half million more tons of methane would be spilled into the atmosphere. However, it would all be worth it because no longer having to comply with the rule would save the industry as much as $850 million. To put that into perspective, the annual costs associated with the California wildfires is hundreds of billions of dollars. Ironically, major oil and gas producers oppose the rollback, namely because they have the means and resources to comply with the regulation, while small producers who supported the repeal don't. California Attorney General Javier Becerra is leading the state suing the EPA, In a statement on Monday, Becerra said, quote, The West is on fire, the South floods, the Midwest gets ripped apart by super tornadoes, and the East prepares for a calamitous hurricane. The Trump administration ignores the dire reality of the climate crisis at our peril, end quote. Meanwhile, President Trump will be visiting California on Monday to survey the damage. 
You might remember last time Trump visited the state to review wildfire damage was back in 2018, and he blamed the blazes on the state's failure to, quote, rake the leaves. He, uh, he repeated that claim again at a campaign event last month. That'll do it for the newscast. That music you hear means it's time for the poetry portion of the show where we read haiku for all our new subscribers over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. This first one goes out to JD. Football's back, baby. Gone long enough for me to forget I hate it. Thank you, JD. This is for Matt. Pumpkin spice latte, he told the Netflix people. Pure comedy gold. Thank you, Matt. This one is for Adrian. Almost November. It's finally our chance to vote the wildfires out. Thank you, Adrian. This is for Logan. Democrats' new plan. Folks, if you like your fire, you can just keep it. Thank you, Logan. Finally, this is for Mateo. Abolish police or else they will abolish you and all your friends. Thank you, Mateo. Yes, thank you, Mateo. And thanks to all the new subscribers. Again, that is patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month to get access to all the bonus content, plus your own haiku written for you and read on the air. Hey, also call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on tomorrow's show. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new newscast. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.